Heavenly Father, we do rejoice. We rejoice in you, and we rejoice in your coming, and we rejoice in your word. Please open our hearts to receive your word today. Amen. You can have a seat. You know, it is so good to be here with you and to have you here in the sanctuary. I know not everybody's here in person. Some are joining us online or out in the parking lot or whatever the situation might be, but I've preached to an empty sanctuary before, and it's not nearly as fun as preaching to a church full of people who are here worshiping our Lord and Savior together. You know, this season of Advent leading up to Christmas, we've been spending a lot of time in the book of Luke specifically, with the theme being, I bet you have it memorized by now, what we all should want for Christmas. So did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Yeah, that's awesome. During this time of Christmas, this time of year, this holiday season, it seems like you know, the world just looks like a little bit brighter place, doesn't it? Now, I'm not just talking about the, all the Christmas lights everywhere and, and the stars in the heavens that Pastor Kevin talked about so well uh, recently. He was talking about the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, and how the glory surrounded the angels as they, as they came and um, surprised the shepherds who were tending their flocks. But you know, glory, hope, joy, peace, those are all topics that we've been focusing on during this it's the time of Advent and Christmas this year. And we associate those words specifically with Christmas very often, don't we? Hope, joy, peace, love, goodwill, kindness, generosity, giving, most importantly, Jesus. You know, the arrival of Jesus Christ is, in, in the most humble of circumstances, was indisputably one of the most significant and life-changing events to ever be recorded throughout our history. It changed the world. However, the story of Jesus does not end with his arrival that we focus on so much, and with good reason. His arrival was miraculous and unprecedented. But if we put that aside for a moment and look ahead briefly to January and what's coming next, and I think all of us are ready to see what's coming next and get uh, this 2020 done, move on to whatever God has next for us. As we look ahead to January, we'll be starting a sermon series that will focus on some of the ministry and teachings of Jesus. But Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was an adult. So there's this gap we have between the birth of Jesus and everything leading up to it and the time of Jesus' ministry beginning. That gap would be the years of his childhood, his youth. Well, surely that was worthy of uh, having a biblical record somewhere, isn't it? At the end of Luke chapter 2, you will find that record. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 2 today, and we'll be looking at the, uh, the last few verses in Luke chapter 2. Now, of all the writers in the New Testament, only Luke provides us with this glimpse, just this little peek into the life of Jesus during this time of his youth. If you have any trouble finding it, just go to the Christmas story. Everybody knows where that is, the beginning of Luke 2. And, and just look towards the end of the chapter. Now, in Luke 2 itself, we read about the birth of Jesus, angels appearing to the shepherds, announcing the arrival of Jesus. Eventually, Jesus is presented at the temple. The family returns and gets settled in Nazareth. Now, somewhere in here, there's got to be that trip to Egypt, but Luke doesn't record that particular detail for us. But now... Now Luke pushes the narrative forward a few years. 
Jesus is 12 years old now. Please follow along in your Bibles, if you would, and I will read Luke 2, 39 through 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents, they went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he had spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, as we read this account that Luke has recorded for us of, of Jesus' life, I would like us to focus on three things this morning. First, God's plan for Jesus' family. Second, we'll talk about God's plan for Jesus himself. And then third, God's plan for you. It all ties together to be God's perfect plan. So focusing first on this, on this family unit that Jesus was a part of. This consisted of Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and quite possibly some younger siblings. Jesus was 12 years old by now, so some time had passed. And we read in this text that Jesus' family honored God. They honored him by obeying his commands and observing his laws. If you look at verse 19 with me, you'll see that it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. The Passover was a big deal. Every Jewish male was required by their law to go to the Passover. Adult males. That was a requirement. This is a big deal. It's not something you skip. Verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So what do we see in these repeated accounts? Well, it indicates a pattern. A pattern of submission and obedience to God and worshiping God with their daily lives. You can see from these descriptive details that Luke, Luke has included for us, even in just the short passage of Scripture, that Jesus' family activity, Jesus' family actively, daily lived their lives in accordance with God's will. They honored God with what they did in their lives. So does that mean that they were, they were perfect, the perfect family? Well, does that mean that they always went to church, never missed a Sunday, Always served at the local soup kitchen, regularly donated charity. Well, you get the idea, right? Were they this perfect family? You may know families that fit into that category. Oh, the Johnsons are such a perfect family. They're always so kind and giving, always willing to serve. You know, 
I would love to be a member of that family. Or, or you may see this family and you may look at them and think, well, impress. What are they trying to prove? Are they trying to, to earn their holiness and righteousness by their works? Well, James 4 warns us against that. It warns us against judging others and saying evil about them. But were they the perfect family? Well, we can look at this passage of Scripture and say that, well, logically, Jesus' family cannot be considered perfect. I mean, what do they do? They left Jesus behind. They forgot about the Son of God. Oops, I don't want to be responsible for that one. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, nowhere to be found. Now, a better and more accurate way to view Jesus' family is to understand that they were truly honoring God and showing their love for him by obeying his commands and observing his laws. How did they do that? They placed God in the top position of priority in their lives. It is said that you can learn a lot about someone by what they do, maybe even more so than by what they say. Actions speak louder than words. Maybe you've heard that saying before. Now, their love for God is expressed through the faith that they exhibit in God by their actions of worshiping him, of serving him, obeying him, honoring him, and most, most importantly, by loving him. They love God. Now, how do you honor God in your life and in the decisions that you make each day? It's a really important question. So what have you chosen to do every day, every week, every month of the year? What have you chosen to do to actively live out your faith, actively walk with God? See, we make decisions every single day. And all too often, those decisions are made without any biblical guidance from God. All too often, decisions we make are based on our own selfish wants and desires that lead us. Maybe, maybe that looks like, oh, I have some extra Christmas money. I'm just going to buy a whole bunch of stuff that I want, not need, but want, before I even consider someone that I know is in need. How are you and your family honoring God today? See, God had a plan for Jesus' family. He handpicked Mary and Joseph to be the family that would love and care for Jesus, God's own son. They were chosen for this awesome honor and responsibility of providing for Jesus' needs, to teach him, and most importantly, to love him, help him grow. Did you know that for the vast majority of people, the greatest source of influence in their lives is actually their parents? Yeah, parents, you got a big responsibility. How important it was then that God chose the right family for Jesus. And it should also come as no surprise to us that Satan likes nothing better than to tear families apart. Now, there can be no doubt that God not only had a plan for Jesus' family, but he sent his son Jesus to the earth with a very specific plan in place for him. We certainly don't have time to talk about the entire life and work of Jesus today. But over the last several weeks, as we've gone through the season of Advent and Christmas, we have studied in the scriptures some of God's plan for Jesus. In Luke itself, we have seen that uh, there was this foretelling of the birth of Jesus when an angel came and visited Mary. 
also read about her relative Elizabeth's exclamation of blessing on Mary and Jesus when Mary came to visit and how Elizabeth's baby leaped for joy in her room when she heard Mary's voice. Matthew records that an angel also visited Joseph, delivering God's message that he should take Mary to be his wife because her miraculous conception was from God, not from any other source. An angel again visited Joseph at a later time, warning him to take his family and flee to Egypt to escape Herod's evil plan. Herod, as you know, was incredibly concerned about any potential threat to his throne and was not afraid to take actions to stamp any of that out. Don't forget also, as God's plan is as exemplified, the visit from the wise men who brought rich gifts for this child. Now think about this picture. This baby, the son who grew to be a son of a carpenter, as his locals knew him, had been born in a lowly, dirty, dusty stable. Not a grand palace. Not a place where a king should be born. Yet those are the kind of gifts he received. He received gifts that would have been appropriate for a king. All of these events were clearly part of God's perfect plan for Jesus. Yet despite all of these miraculous, unusual, and unprecedented events surrounding the birth of Jesus, after 12 years, they seem to have been forgotten. How can you forget all that? Looking at the text from Luke 2 and reading through this narrative of the visit to the temple, uh, primarily in verses 43 through 48, the story reads that the feast of the Passover had ended and everyone left Jerusalem. Now this, this has some significance because one historian estimates that at this time there were over, maybe over three million Jews that would gather in Jerusalem at this time. Imagine that, for that scene. People everywhere, men, women, children, dogs, cats, horses, donkeys, mules, camels, cats, um, I mean, goats, chickens, you name it. Everybody and everything was there. These days when we travel, what do we do? We hop in a, normally in one vehicle, and we travel to our destination. Well, this was a much different setting. Those days, when the Jews would go to the Passover feast in Jerusalem, it was quite a big thing. They gathered immediate and extended family, friends and acquaintances, neighbors. They formed these large caravans to travel together. It was much safer, and as a side bonus, they had the um, friendships and acquaintances with people as they were traveling. It was all quite a festive atmosphere. The women traditionally traveled at the front of the caravan, while the men traditionally traveled at the back. So as the caravan leaves Jerusalem after the week of the Passover celebration is done, you can easily imagine a scene where Mary thought that, well, Jesus must be traveling with Joseph. I mean, he is age 12, which is kind of where they start, would start making this transition to, by the age 13, the Jewish men would, would take on more responsibilities that were more along the lines of what the adults were responsible for. Kind of transitioning from childhood to becoming a young man with all those responsibilities. Joseph, if he was traveling with the men, would have been in the back of the caravan. So you could easily picture this scene or this setting where everybody thought Jesus was traveling with someone else. Now, however the details actually worked out, what we do know is what, when they stopped for the night after a full day of travel, 
Jesus was nowhere to be found. Oops. So they went back to Jerusalem, did a thorough search, and found Jesus of all places in the temple. Now at this moment, at this moment, we, we see the care and concern of Jesus' earthly parents. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. There's probably a few other adjectives, adjectives that you could plug in there. But, great distress. And we see in these words the care and concern of a loving parent for their child. Uh, parents, have you ever left somebody behind? Uh, kids, have you ever been left behind somewhere? It's not a good feeling, is it? In just a moment, it seems like this feeling of anxiety or even panic can set in when you don't know where your child is. Mary's care and concern for her family is obvious. It's clear. However, it seems as if Joseph and Mary have forgotten just how special Jesus really was. In Jesus' response to his mother Mary, we see God's plan for Jesus already being engaged, even at age 12. In verse, why were you looking for me? Like he's surprised. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, the two most common ways to translate this verse, depending on what translation you have, are using the words, in my father's house, or did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Now, the thought that's really being conveyed here is that Jesus is saying to his parents that he's surprised that his parents would be searching for him. He's surprised because he thought they would know that he had to be in the affairs or literally in the things of his father. So what Jesus refers to is more than just a place and the father's business would seem to fit as something that would take place in the father's house, which was the temple. So he put the two together. Jesus is in the father's house doing the father's business. He's literally in the father's things. Whatever the father's doing, that's where he's supposed to be. And I think understanding what these things are, what the Father's business is that's being referred to, is a key to this whole passage. So what was God's plan for Jesus? From what we've studied, part of God's plan was for Jesus to humble himself and come to the earth and live as you and I, take on humanity, but at the same time never sin. And one of the possible explanations for the lack of biblical records of this time of Jesus' youth is that in most ways, it may have been quite ordinary. But in that too, we see God's plan. Because see, while on earth, Jesus experienced the day-to-day -day life. He faced struggles. He faced temptations. Experienced the full range of emotions. He was even left behind. He was beaten. He was bruised. He suffered pain. And he finally bled and died for your sins and for mine. And on the cross, Jesus was even totally forsaken by his heavenly Father. God's plan for Jesus is clearly stated in the words of Jesus himself. If you look ahead in your Bible to Luke 19, you will read in verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's God's plan for Jesus. And as we see, God's plan for Jesus was also his plan for you and for me, for us, through Jesus. Because we are the lost that Jesus came to save. Well, that's quite an assignment. How would you like to have been given that one when they were handing out assignments to heaven? Well, Jesus, you get to go and <clears throat> save the world. Wow. 
However, it's exactly what Jesus was sent to do, isn't it? To seek and save the lost and provide a way for salvation. For your salvation, my salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. And literally to provide life through his sacrificial death on the cross. It's almost beyond comprehension. It's unbelievable. Now recently I was discussing this particular text with my father-in-law. And he described the work of Jesus as a search and rescue mission. And I think that's a helpful way to think about it or to understand it. A search and rescue mission. Well, the first thought that comes to my mind is the Coast Guard. And we're going to pull up an image here in just a moment for you to take a look at. Did you know that every year, every year, the Coast Guard rescues and saves the lives of literally thousands of people? So what do you think of when you see this classic image on the screen of a Coast Guard helicopter with a swimmer jumping out to rescue someone? You want to cheer them on, right? It's like, save that person. Maybe you want to be the person that's saved. <laughs> well, really, it's a picture of hope and life, isn't it? See, these, these guys are well-trained. They're brave. They're willing to face the nastiest weather conditions and even to put their lives on the line. And they do this all to rescue people, people like you and me, men, women, children, and literally saving their lives. Sometimes, however, sometimes it comes with a very personal cost for these brave members of the Coast Guard because there's risk involved with that job. Sometimes they even sacrifice their very own lives to save others. Star of our story, doesn't it? This text from Luke chapter 2. See, Jesus Christ also sacrificed his life and he gave his life to save you and to save me. He gave his life so that we can have life through him. So clearly, Jesus was not just a normal child. He was indeed the son of God. And he says just that when he responds to Mary in this text. Now Mary said to him, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus' response, in Jesus' response, he pointed to his personal duty to his father in heaven. He was aware of his relationship to God by referring to him as my father, which may have, was, must have come as a bit of a surprise to Mary. Jesus is talking about God as my father. Because Jesus Christ was sent by God to the earth. He was sent by God the Father to live here in our world. He was sent to be a part of a family. He learned, he grew, he became strong, increased in wisdom and in favor with God and man both. Because he was sent from God, and he's the son of God, he was able to take on the burden of our sins, and he carried them to the cross. And he paid the price. He paid the price, and that burden was very, very heavy. Because we are really good at sinning. Our human nature specializes in being good at doing what is wrong. Sometimes it seems like we, it's really a challenge to do what's right. It's just easy to do what's wrong. You would think that, that this Christmas season, right, with all of its holiday cheer and the spirit of giving and, and spreading goodwill and, and joy, peace, hope, and love and all that, that this, this would be the one time where we would be immune to some of these, these, these sinful urges, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
Are you perfectly content with what you got for Christmas? At our Christmas Eve services, Pastor Nick shared on the topic of peace, uh, as Ben mentioned this morning. And he also asked this question. What if you actually got everything that was on your Christmas wish list? Everything you could think of, you put on your list. And you actually got everything that was on your list. Would you be satisfied? Would you never ask for anything again? See, no matter how much you have, you tend to still want something more. Greed, contempt, jealousy, envy, discontentment, these are just some of the sins that we are guilty of. And sin leads to death. It can lead to a physical death. And it also leads to our spiritual death. God's plan is not death. It is life. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's the work of Jesus. That is God's plan for you, to believe in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and accept the salvation and forgiveness of sins that he alone offers. You won't find it anywhere else. Today we've looked at God's plan for Jesus' family. When God sent his son Jesus to the earth, he chose a very specific family for him. It wasn't by random chance that Mary and Joseph were Jesus' parents. A family that honored God and worshipped him alone. A family that would love and care for Jesus and would teach him and raise him to be a man of God. I think he turned out pretty well. We've also seen in this text God's plan for Jesus to humble himself, to live here on the earth and go through life as a person, as a human being, facing daily challenges, growing and learning, ultimately stepping into the role of full-time ministry and suffering and dying. But he didn't stop there. That wasn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death. And in so doing, he provided salvation and forgiveness of sins for all who believe. That's great news. That is God's plan for you, that you believe in him and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The question is simply, how do you respond? Whether you're here in person or or somewhere else, maybe streaming this service online or watching the recording at a later date, whatever the case might be, how do you respond? Do you take this seriously? You should, because it's literally a matter of life and death. Both for you, for your family, for your friends and acquaintances, because the sin that's in our hearts and in our lives leads to death. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us of our sins. If you do not accept Jesus into your heart, then you are condemning yourself. And not only you, but if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you choose to keep that good news to yourself, you could very well be condemning someone else. Someone else who was meant to hear God's good news, the good news of life through you, from you. The salvation that's made possible through Jesus Christ and freely offered to all who believe. Choose God's plan today. Heavenly Father, 
we come to you and we look to you and we seek you. We seek your glory. But God, you have already given us the most amazing, miraculous gift ever conceivable, far beyond anything we could hope or imagine. You sent your one and only son to provide salvation, to provide life for us, your creation. All we can do, God, is say thank you. And we love you. Amen.